Okay, we are in Nehemiah chapter 9 this morning, and we'll, we'll be starting in verse 9. Okay. We're, we're starting. Nine, nine. Nehemiah nine nine this morning. Okay. Let's open. Let's open with prayer. Father God, we do thank you for this day again for the chance to study the book of Nehemiah, for the things that we're learning uh, about uh, the relationship between you and your people, and how they respond to your word, and we, that results in. Not just their confession of their sins, but also in worship for you. And we just thank you for this example and hope that it'll be an encouragement for us to spend more and more time in your word so that we can grow in our relationship with you as well. Pray you bless our time now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, to get our context, we're going to start reading in verse 6, and we will read through verse 25. Nehemiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6 and going through verse 25. It's in the paragraph. It is. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and bought him out from Ur the Chaldees, and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you, and made a covenant with him to give... Oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry, went too far. To give the land of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Gerbishites, to give it to his descendants. You have fulfilled your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against his officials, and all the people of his land. For you know, for you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and you cast their preserves into the depths, <clears throat> as a stone into a mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar, and by night with a pillar of fire, to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right, and decrees and commands that are good. So thou dost make known to them thy holy Sabbath, and dost lay down for them commandments, statutes, and laws through thy servant Moses. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. What verse is that? 16 verse 21. I lost the verse this morning. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked and did not obey our, your commands. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. 
even after they had cast an image of a calf for themselves and said, This is your God who brought you out of Egypt, and they had committed terrible blasphemies. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light, the, light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations, and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Shion, the land of the king of Hishwan, and the land of Og, king of Bash. You made the children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told the parents to enter and possess. So their sons entered and possessed the land, and thou didst subdue before them the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites, and thou didst give them into their hand, which their kings and the peoples of the land, to do with them as they desired. And they captured fortified cities in a rich land, and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves with their great goodness. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Thank you. Okay, last week we, we started chapter 9, and they had been celebrating the Feast of Booths, and then two days later, they spend this time to read God's Word for four hours in the morning, and then the next four hours they spent in introspection, confession, and prayer, and worship. And this worship is in the form of a psalm, and that's what we're looking at now, is this psalm. And this was all being led by the Levites. We saw they were ones who were teaching and leading, and, and they were fulfilling their role here. Now, this psalm begins by glorifying God um, for his power, for his majesty, as shown in creation. And again, creation is an important topic in the Bible because God uses this to demonstrate that he is the only true God. Idols cannot create. This is one of the things that distinguishes him from the idols. And so we see that used fairly often like that. Um, and then we saw that uh, God brought Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, took him out of this, this pagan land, and established a covenant with him, and then with his grandson, it passed down to his grandson Jacob, who was also known as Israel, and the covenant included giving him the land. So this is the promised land, the land of Palestine, the land of Canaanites, and this was the beginning of this covenant relationship between God and his people. <clears throat> so as we go through this psalm, it's basically about this covenant relationship and the two parties. We have God who is faithful to keep his side of the covenant, and then we have Israel who was unfaithful in keeping their part of the covenant. So that's kind of what we'll see here over the, the rest of this chapter. So this morning we're starting verse 9. So we'll look at 9 and 10. 
It says, Thou dost see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, thou dost hear their cry by the Red Sea, and thou dost perform wonders, or signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and all the people of his land. For thou dost know that they acted arrogantly toward them, and dost make a name for thyself as it is this day. Now I've got the old original New American Standard. And when it gets into something like a psalm, we have didst and thou and thyself. The up, updated New American Standard changes that to you did in more normal English. But I've got the old one, so. That predates what? <laughs> they, they, they brought some of the King James language over into the prayers and the psalms. Oh, that's really early that, yeah, it's not that early. <clears throat> So, this part of the psalm is praising uh, God for his faithfulness to the Jews when he rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. So now we're, you know, we, we established the covenant in verse 7 and 8. Now we see God fulfilling his part of the covenant. He rescues these people out of Egypt. Um, God heard their cry and he was faithful to remove them from Egypt. Let's go back and look at Exodus chapter 3. So as we go through this psalm, we'll see references back to their history. And, and so we'll go back and, and look uh, at the actual passages in the Old Testament in a few places where it describes this. So Exodus chapter 3, with someone like to read verses 7 through 9 for us. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to place to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites. <clears throat> and now behold, the cry of people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with the Egyptians oppress them. Okay, so, so God's aware of the oppression and the suffering of his people. Now, we, that can be comforting to us because he knows when we suffer as well. He's aware of that, and he does something about it. So he, he comes down and rescues them out of this suffering. And we also see the repetition, again, of the promise of the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. Um, very important to the, to the Jewish people. Now, going back to looking at our psalm, it goes on uh, in verse 10. It says, Thou dost perform signs and wonders. Signs and wonders is a condensation of the ten plagues. <laughs> Pretty, that's about as condensed as you can get to mention the ten plagues here. Uh, but it adds that this was directed against the arrogance of Pharaoh and his people. Um, you know, they, Pharaoh says, you know, who is this God that I should listen to him? You know, I don't know who he is. I'm going to just keep on doing what I want to do. And so we see the arrogance in that. Um, <clears throat> and it, it says as a result of this, he... he you know, God basically destroyed Egypt, which was one of the most powerful nations on earth at this time. 
And it says, God made a name for himself. God glorified himself in this. And it says, he has this name to this day. Well, the Exodus was about 1440 B.C. That's the number that sticks in my head. I can't remember exactly what part of it, but 1440 B.C. Where are we now in time? Do you remember? Do you remember the date for the decree to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? It was one. I was going to say 540. He's saying 560. 444. (laughs) Okay, so this is this is about a thousand years later. God still is known for His destruction of Egypt. Uh, God glorified Himself, and they they still they know it. The other nations know it. They know what happened to Egypt even though it was a thousand years earlier. Um, going on to verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> and now this divide the sea before them, so they pass through the midst of the sea on dry ground, and their pursuers thou dost hurl into the depths like a stone into raging waters. And with a pillar thou dost lead them by day, and with a pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. So God here provides safe passage for them out of Egypt as he brings them to Mount Sinai. So he provides safe passage. First he destroys Egypt. He brings them out of Egypt. Now he's providing safe passage. And again we see God is doing mighty works on behalf of the Jews. Um, And we parts the Red Sea. He allows them to cross on dry ground. And then he destroys the enemy in the same exact same spot by bringing the waters back on Pharaoh's army. Yeah, I've heard it said that miracles happen with only six inches of water. They don't look that big of a miracle if you get across with only six inches of water. Right. But the miracle is the fact they drowned with six inches of water. Yeah. yeah. But that's all bunk because it says in the, and we hurled into the depths. The depths, right. And I can't imagine God thinking six inches of the depths. Uh-huh. I, I was going to point that out, the hurl into the depths. Six inches is not depths. And raging waters. I mean, you know, I've been to some fast-moving streams that were six inches deep, but they're not raging waters. <laughs> so, so, yeah, this doesn't quite add up with a shallow water crossing. Uh, let's turn to Psalm 136. So the, movie, the Ten Commandments did a job showing that, really. Uh-huh. So Hollywood got one thing right. <laughs> <laughs> Psalm 136. And someone like to read verses 13 through 15 for us. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, so this is another psalm, and it reviews the same events, showing God's faithfulness. In Psalm 136, they emphasize the main point, which is his loving kindness endures forever. Right, God is faithful. God has made a covenant with his people, and he is faithful. And that's the thing that we're going to get to see hammered over and over again as we go through the psalm. God is faithful to his people. 
And going back and, and finishing up uh, verse 12, you know, God provides uh, a guide. He has the, there's a pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It not only guides them, but also protects them. If you remember when they were had their backs up against the Red Sea, the pillar went around between them and the Pharaoh's army and provided protection. So God protected them and guided them until he brought them to Mount Sinai. So then we go on to this next step. What happens at Mount Sinai? Let's look at verses 13 and 14. And thou dost come down on Mount Sinai and to speak with them from heaven. Thou dost give them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. So thou dost make known to them thy holy Sabbath and dost lay down for them commandments, statutes, and law through thy servant Moses. So after leading them to Mount Sinai, uh, again, as the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, God speaks to them directly. If you remember, this scares them to death. The people, they, they basically say, Moses, you go talk to them. <laughs> we don't want to even get close. But God speaks to them directly. And again, this demonstrates God's special interest in the Jewish people. So let's turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Look at a couple passages in this chapter, so don't leave it too quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 4, would someone like to read verses 32 through 34? Since the creation of man, has God ever come and spoken to people face, you know, like this? No. He says, well, maybe God spoke to people, but did they survive? No. Yeah, they didn't live to tell about it, and it's not recorded here. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, this is unique. This is, these are God's special people. Um, and also he, he goes on here and mentions that God took them out of one nation. They took the nation of Israel out of the nation of Egypt. Just pulled, God extracted them, took them out and separated them. That's never happened either. So these are miraculous events um, that demonstrate this special relationship. And this is part of the Jewish heritage. This is what they remember. You know, God glorified himself, and they said, to this day, you know, it was a thousand years later, we still remember. Even to this day, today, we, they remember this. We remember it. So, um, 
staying put here in Deuteronomy 4, I'll just mention, as we went through in Nehemiah 9, it says, it calls the laws and the commandments that God gives them, they're called just, true, and good. So we have a lot of bad laws, mediocre laws. The Jews didn't have that. Their laws were all just, good, and true. You know, that's one of the things you know, I look forward to Christ's return when Christ rules is we will be back to a, a, a government that has true, just, and right laws, yeah. unlike what we have now. Um, so, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, there's someone like verse 8. What great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I'm setting before you today? Okay, again, something unique about Israel. They are given this, these holy, just, and righteous laws. No other nation has ever had uh, such a, a type of laws. Um, again, our, our passage in Nehemiah 9 also mentions that God gave them the Sabbath. Now, is that a blessing or is that a burden? Oh, no, it's the Sabbath. We have to sit at home and twiddle our thumbs and not do anything. Now, some people look at that as a burden. This was actually a blessing because they've got a day off. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, would someone like to read verses 9 through 11? Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so this is enforced rest. Every seventh day you rest. Um, I had a, when I was in college, I had a wheat harvest job one summer, and I think I worked for like 16 days straight. And by the end, of, I was driving a combine. By the end of the 16 days, I'd stop to unload the grain bin, and I'd look around the cab, and I couldn't remember what lever to pull. <laughs> I was so worn out. You know, we need the rest, um, and God gave them that, and so that was a blessing to them. <laughs> the other thing it mentions at the end of uh, verse 14, through thy servant Moses. Again, what other nation had a leader who would go and talk to God for them on their behalf and intercede for them when they messed up? We've seen at least a couple times when I think God was testing Moses, but he says, Moses, get back from the people. I'm going to destroy them all, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And Moses interceded for them. So Moses was a blessing to them as well. Okay, and going on to verse 15, we have another blessing. 
thou dost provide bread from heaven for them, for their hungry hunger. And thou dost bring forth water from a rock for them, for their thirst. And thou dost tell them, in order to, en- to enter, in order to possess the land which thou didst swear to give them. So, again, we have these miracles of providing what they needed, the physical need, food and water. You know, we need food and water to survive. And God blessed them with that. Let's look at another, let's look at Psalm 105. Someone would like to read verses 40 and 41 for us. They asked, and he brought quail, and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. Okay, so we've got we've got all these psalms where, where the, they're praising God, and they're reviewing their history, and they're talking about the blessings that God gives. And we have this same thing in Psalm 105. Um, Psalm 105 includes the detail of the quail. He gave them meat, too, because they... Asked for meat. Well, that's because they complained about the manna. Right. They were sick of the manna, so they wanted quail. So they gave them quail and did it. They were sick of that. Uh-huh. Yeah, they ate quail every day for a month. <laughs> yeah. God said, You want quail? <laughs> I'll give you quail. <laughs> yes. Um, but this also mentions that God. Uh, brings them basically to the threshold, up to the door of the promised land. He brings them right up. You know, they can touch it. They can see it. Uh, And God brings them up to that point. So let's look at Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 Would someone read verses 1 and 2, and then also verse 27? Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. 27? Yes. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Okay, so they were right on the border. However, they sent in the spies. You know, they had... They had a bunch of grapes. They said they put it on a pole and carried it between two men. It was, you know, I've never seen anything like that in Safeway. You put it in a little plastic bag and carry it home. No, they had, this was huge. It was a, abundant. You know, God's blessings was tremendous. And, and they went and they saw it. Um, it was, this is, you know, and God was totally faithful in all this. He's brought them out kept them safe, brought them to the doorway of the promised land. That's what I don't get. They actually saw it. Yeah. They saw the pillar of fire. They saw <laughs> being led by the cloud. They went in and saw what God promised, and they still grumbled and complained and didn't believe. Yeah. And were afraid. Yeah. And were afraid. 
And, you know, up to this point, the, the, psalm, the psalm is leaving out a few incidents up to this point. Because they, yeah, there, there, was, there was some rebellion and there was some discipline, but the emphasis here is on God's faithfulness to the covenant. You know, up to this point, the psalm's only talking about God's blessing. Okay, so let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 9. <coughs> Look at verses 16 and 17. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to thy commandments, and they refused to listen. They did not remember thy wondrous deeds which thou hast performed among them, so they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But thou art a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and thou didst not forsake them. God provided everything they needed, but it says our fathers acted arrogantly, stubbornly, would not listen. So we got a little three-letter word here, the word but, the conjunction but. But, everything's going great, but, yeah, we have a problem. Um, and so we see a... Um, complete change in what's going on here. I have a place, my favorite use of that little word. This is different context. Well, let's turn to Ephesians. So we see the, the little word but used in a positive way. Ephesians chapter 2. <coughs> now I know some, <coughs> excuse me, Yeah. Now I have a New American Standard, and I know I, some some versions leave change the language a little bit. You, okay, you want to read two, well, one through six, somebody. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. <laughs> among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of, our, of the body and the mind, and were nature, by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up from Him, with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You ever see such a tremendous total change of yeah. without one little word, but God? Yeah, it's just like you guys were in a horrible shape. You were dead. You were walking in the under the direction of Satan. You know, you're miserable, decrepit, depraved. But God, but God, changed all that, and we ended up where? Seated at, the, seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. Citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. And so we have that same kind of contrast back here in Nehemiah chapter 9. God's been so good to you. He's blessed the Jews and all this stuff. But they rebelled. Totally turned everything upside down um, and backwards. 
Now he goes on and says in here, he says, they did not remember the wondrous deeds which you performed among them. How long ago had this happened, the wondrous deeds? A year? But, recalling of what would happen in Egypt? Yeah. <clears throat> it might have been a year or less. Yeah. The, the plagues, the, you know, the crossing of the Red Sea, providing the manna, providing the water, providing everything. It's, it didn't happen that long ago, but it says they don't remember. Did they all get struck with dementia? No, they remember... They, they chose to push that out, to suppress that in their thinking. God blessed them and blessed them and blessed them and took care of them, and they said, we don't care. Right now we are looking at something we don't like, and we don't care about all God's blessings. We're just going to turn our backs on him and disobey him. This was a deliberate uh, act. It's not that they went... They had brain damage or anything. You might call it brain damage, <laughs> soul damage. Um, so they forgot that and, and re- rebelled. Um, let's look at Psalm 78. Psalm 78, someone like to read verses 40 through 43 for us. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the wasteland. Again and again they forgot his task. They vexed the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power. The day he redeemed them from the oppressor, the day he dis- displayed his signs in Egypt, his wonders in the, the region of his, of his Zolan. Okay. Again, we have a did, they did not remember. No, that was deliberate. They deliberately rejected what God had done. Um, we see they rebel and they grieve him. They tempted God and pained him. So, despite all God's blessings, they rejected. Um, and it says they became arrogant. The thing is that, you know, they ran, the spies also saw the giants in the land. Excuse <coughs> me. And God has said, no, I'm going to bring you in. And they thought, well, we know better than God. We know he's not going to do this. We know we can't do it, and and he won't do it. So this was their arrogance. And so they refused to listen to Moses and Joshua and Caleb. Let's look at Numbers chapter 14. Yeah, Numbers 14 is the chapter that talks about how they rebelled and turned away. Numbers 14, would someone like to read verses 6 through 10? Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. 
Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. How far? Ten also, please. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of the meeting to all the sons of Israel. Okay, so here we have Joshua and Caleb begging the people. Obey God. Let's take, we can go in. God has promised, you know, it says it's an exceedingly good land. Not just good, it's exceedingly good. It is the best land you can dream of. And God's promised to give it to us. He'll go before us. He'll remove the protection of the enemies. We can do it because God will give it to us. Um, and they rejected that. Um, now at the very end it says uh, the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting. Which is kind of ominous. Because yeah. <laughs> this is a direct insult against God. They're calling God a liar. They're calling God impotent. This is blasphemy. This rejection, this disobedience here is, is complete blasphemy. So God appears to deal with them at this point. Um, and this is one of those places where God tells Moses, I'm, just get back, I'm going to destroy this people. I've had it with them. So in Numbers 14, where we are, uh, would someone like to read verses 18 through 20 for us? Okay, so this is Moses interceding for the people. Um, again, this is one, we mentioned Moses being a blessing. Well, this was an example here. He intercedes on behalf of the people. And what he does in his prayer is he quotes God's words back to God. Let's look at Exodus chapter 34. This is when Moses comes down the mountain with the second set of tablets. Remember the first set got broken? So Moses is, is up there with God. Exodus chapter 34, would someone like to read verses 6 and 7 for us? The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Okay, so this is what Moses quotes when he intercedes for Israel. He says, God, you are what? Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. 
So this is God showing his glory to Moses, and Moses remembers this. And this phrase occurs all throughout the Old Testament. Over and over again, you'll see it. All through the Psalms, everywhere else. That, you know, God forgives, he's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Let's turn to the book of Joel. It may seem like a odd place. Joel chapter 2. Someone like to read verses 12 and 13 for us. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and then rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Okay, so here... God is calling through to this uh, prophet Joel to the Jews to repent. Why? Because God says, I'm gracious, I'm compassionate. Slow to anger, that's long-suffering. Yeah. Um, I abound in loving kindness, and he's a forgiving God. And so we see that all through, all through Israel's history. Why? Because... They keep messing up. They keep turning away from God. But God is gracious and forgiving, long-suffering. Sometimes I think the reason God picked the Jews, <laughs> this hard-headed, stiff-necked people, was so that he could demonstrate his glory. This is when Moses said, I want to see your glory. This is what God said. And I've always, I've always thought it was interesting because I never ever talking about the attributes of God and the, the theologians debate. Well, which is the most important one? God's holiness or his sovereignty? Well, when God comes to Moses and says, this is what I am, he doesn't use those two words. He says, I'm what? Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and forgiving. So in relationship with us, these are the most important attributes because we need them. <laughs> We need them all the time. Okay, well, we, this is a good place to stop, so uh, we will take this up again next week in verse 18. Joe, would you like to close in prayer for us? Dear Lord, we thank you for time. We can open your word to see you for us. Thank you, it's a living word that speaks to us on a daily basis. Pray we'll get into it and study it. And just like the ever kind of like from Daryl said earlier, that we'll be encouraged to see what's there for us and, and come into a daily daily um, practice of, of looking at what you have for us and your free and living work. We thank you for these opportunities to study. We thank you for this um, opportunity to gather as, as a brothership, family of fellowship, and, and a brother, brotherhood here. We just thank you for that, for the opportunity we have to worship in your name. We pray for this hour for the next time. We pray for you.